Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. I'm Sabrina. This is Trailer Talk, and I'm so excited to be speaking with Janine Hayes and Brian Mason from Afro Chic. This is a project that they created. It has many parts, and we're going to talk about what Afro Chic is. They are a husband and wife team working together. They are in Napanock, New York, in Ulster County. Afro Chic is a project that I became very interested in, and I've been following Janine and Brian for a while. They are a modern design and media project that celebrates the African diaspora. And they state that they support anti-racism to raise awareness and share information about justice and equality. So we're looking at aesthetics, design, media. We're looking at this project that through many different angles, they are expressing their commitment and their dedication to uh, racial representation, to equity, and to dealing with justice, but across this kind of world of objects and aesthetics. And so I welcome you both, Janine and Brian. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having us. You're welcome. My name's Janine Hayes. I'm a former policy attorney who now just, you know, sort of works, like I said, in this world of media and design. It's interesting because my experience really was uh, working on things like the Violence Against Women Act in uh, California and in Washington, D.C. But for me, design was always very much an outlet, um, something that I did as a hobby that has kind of taken over our lives at this point in, in some really interesting ways. Yeah, uh, both of our lives. Uh, my name is Brian Mason. And um, like Janine, I'm not a designer by training. Neither of us were designers by training. This is really a, an instance where uh, her passion kind of took over both of our lives. Before this, I was a, uh, a an aspiring academic. Uh, I was picking up master's degrees in, in pursuit of an eventual PhD. In what, for, Brian? Uh, my first master's degree was in systematic philosophical theology. So I actually oh. went to the Graduate Theological Union out in Berkeley, California, and um, say uh, academic degree. So uh, I'm not a minister or don't run churches, but just sort of theology and its uh, its applications. And then the other part, so actually then uh, GTU was actually right across the street, so to speak, from uh, UC Berkeley. So then I went to UC Berkeley for a, a master's degree in African diaspora studies and uh, was working on my PhD. And uh, by around that time, we started Afrochic while we were going through that. And uh, I just finished my comps and was ready to start writing my dissertation when we got the offer to write our first book around uh, Afrochic and interior design. And so kind of decided that that was the direction to go in. So the book you're referring to is Remix Decorating with Culture, Objects, and Soul? Yes, yes, yeah, it's our first that, book. Our first book, mm -hmm. and we're now working on our second book. But yeah, that first book was such an exciting, unexpected journey. And like Brian said, he was working on the PhD. And always when you know, you're know you working on your PhD, the one of the goals is to be published. And it was like, well, 
you don't even have to go to, you don't even have to finish the program for this. We can, you can get published. Um, but I think a lot of his study um, and his work very much fits into sort of the DNA of the brand itself and that we're looking at design, but design is just sort of the lens for us to talk about the diaspora and our culture in the world. Sometimes it's very interesting to people because Afrochic is this sort of home brand, but home is actually where it all begins. Begin, it's where we learn our values. It's where we learn about who we are. It's where, it's our safest space. It's our, our space as children. We're growing up and reading and and learning about this world that we're one day going to enter. Um, and so a lot of the things that we talk about and discuss in Afrochic really does start at home in our own homes and the conversations that we had growing up about race and justice and, and our value systems and really bringing that out uh, into the world now. Yeah. And a lot of it kind of rotates around this idea of like deepening the concept of design, what it stands for. Uh, I can honestly say that before Afrochic and I was not a design oriented person at all. It was, you know, the design of a room, what was in it was not something that kind of uh, crossed into my consciousness. But um, so everything I know about design now, which has become a lot over the years, uh, I learned it all from Janine over the, the course of us, you know, doing Afro Chic. But more than that, we sort of started to take a deeper look at what design is and what it means. And so from that, realizing that design is this intensely, very specifically human thing to do. There's no other animal on the planet that does design in the way that we do, and that can attach meaning kind of tied up in this human capacity for symbolism to say, you know, this color means this to me, or this rug was designed with from this culture with this idea in mind. And so because of that, it became this way of looking at the way that all of these different aspects of our lives connect. They become this, this place mm -hmm. where it comes together, as we were saying, home is this place where even as adults, you experience so much of it, whether it's fashion, science, technology, music, literature, all of these are things that you can experience in your home. And all of these are things that are represented, your feelings, your preferences, your views on them, but also the culture that you come from and the things that formed you are also represented in your home. So using your home to tell your story, creating a space around you that reflects who you are, but then also understanding home and design as this form of symbolism, as this, this way of either stating or in some cases remembering, all of it becomes mm. powerful in a way of looking at sort of the larger processes of history and society that are going on around us all the time. I connect to this so deeply because with trailer talk itself, there's the idea of the kitchen table and coming together and the symbol of home. Also thinking of my own home, you know, I have objects that are from my family that come from the past, you know, deceased family members, and they are embedded. And then thinking of design as you're sharing with us, Brian, as kind of aspirational, also about remembrance, as you were saying. Absolutely. Like you said, having those heirlooms, having those pieces around you, even those pieces, those ancestral pieces can be very encouraging um, as you're doing your work or whatever it is that you are doing within your home. But one of the things that Brian and I reflected on in our work also as African-Americans is, um, and, and as the descendants of slaves, is that we don't have a lot of heirlooms because after slavery and after emancipation, people had nothing. I mean, there really wasn't like, you weren't like carrying off with like items. Slave quarters were very small. It wasn't like you were able to have, you know, a lot of your own effects. And when the plantations basically 
let slaves out of those plantation centers, basically people were put out onto the street with, with very little. A lot of people died. But those people who were able to survive took what very little they had and were able to eventually get land and, and build a little bit. The idea of sort of long-term heirlooms that we have friends that have heirlooms that are hundreds of years old because they can look back at their family from Europe or from other places in the world, we don't have those. So those small things like some family pictures um, that you might find of your parents from like the 60s or 70s, um, or my father collected a lot of black sculpture and art pieces. Those things become so critically important to hold on to um, because they're the bits that the family is sort of now building as it's building its own story. We wanna give voice to that. Uh, sometimes people don't even have those items, but we wanna encourage people to you can go and you can actually identify new sculptures, new pieces. Maybe it's books that your parents were avid readers and you wanna bring that into your home and that is becomes that heirloom. Or maybe it's music. Both Brian and I grew up on a healthy dose of Motown and mm -hmm. the Philadelphia sound because we're from Pennsylvania. And so there's that way of bringing something into your home that is enriching, that helps you express your culture. That's also very nurturing for you. And we want people to understand that that all of that is very important to be able to craft um, a space that helps you move forward. One of the things that's been really great with AfroChic is we it really did start in some ways as a, a project on a representation, just kind of originally it was a block, just showcasing the presence of, of people of color in the design industry before we became part of the industry really ourselves. We're going back and kind of realizing the, the depth and the diversity of the, the African-American and the black American experiences to a not at all points equivalent. And really seeing that for as much as you can say, yes, there, there, there was that experience, you know, post-emancipation, post-bellum where we had, um, you know, the people who were in the streets and, and basically acting as, as refugees and, and moving around the, the country. You also have those people, you had, you know, free communities, for example, Philadelphia, where we're from, had a, a free educated middle-class African-American community well before the end of the civil war. Now that may not have translated into like long-term heirlooms for all of us, but it did turn, translate into a legacy of education, a legacy of freedom, and, you know, these, these different aspects that kind of like translate as, as part of who we are. And then you do have some people who may have uh, a photo of a relative from, you know, the, the point where the advent of photography back in the 1800s, or mm. you might have somebody who has a, um, a shawl, you know, one of the things that was great when um, the Smithsonian opened the, the National Museum of African American History was they were able to get heirlooms from people from all over the country donated and said, you know, this is something that's been in my family for a few hundred years or things like that. So, you know, to an extent, those things do exist, but by and large, yes, it was very difficult for us to kind of hold on to heirlooms, which again, does make them so much more important as we go forward. How do you move forward with that? Kind of acknowledging this history that you're sharing, a legacy of those who were enslaved. How do you move forward then, as you say, with how you're then constructing and raising awareness for your audiences around this diaspora, around how it connects to the personal and to certainly a history in the United States. I think that, you know, one of the ways that you move forward is in the way that we do as a brand is celebration. 
um, celebration of our history, our legacy as Black people, and our resilience. And so AfroChic has really now become uh, more than, you know, just doing design or even talking about design, we actually have a quarterly magazine um, where we write about sort of every aspect of the, of the African diaspora and black lifestyle. It's a celebration of all these things we talked about that's part of the home experience of music, food, interior design, literature, um, scholarship, all of that is a part of Afrochic Magazine. And then we have a section of the magazine where we actually talk about the Black family home and that story of the Black family home, because the Black family home is not just the story of our ancestors. It is the story of America. Um, it is the story of slavery, of emancipation, of the great migration, and then even of the civil rights era, the Fair Housing Act, to the 80s and 90s in which we were able to become major homeowners in this country to now where we actually see home ownership of Black Americans dropping off. And so we're excited because that's what our second book is about. It's coming out this fall, and it is about the legacy of the Black family home. It's spotlighting and showcasing homes from all over the country and the stories of homeowners, the stories and histories of their families. But it's also a design book where we're talking a lot about history and really getting people to understand that Black people in America have been on an extraordinary journey that really lets us learn about our country, about the fight for freedom, about gaining rights, about all these, all these things that actually we're all talking about very much today as we're kind of looking at a time that for many people reflects the 60s or 70s. And so, you know, design again is that lens, the home is that lens, but it becomes a space where we can actually begin to have a much wider discussion um, about our, our diaspora. History is definitely a big part of Afro-Chic and kind of understanding. So part of how we go forward is actually by going further back, a wider purview in the ability to put things in context. So on a large enough scale saying, understanding that slavery is not the beginning of African history. Although it could arguably be the beginning of the African diaspora of, of African-American, Caribbean, those history of the people who were dispersed by the transatlantic slave trade. But going back even further, recognizing that having a history that begins in that way is not in itself unique in that most of the major nations of Europe, you know, England, France, Germany, Spain, were at all points uh, to some extent, more or less enslaved to the Roman empire. So that process has been repeated in other people. You know, the, the term, the word slave is rooted in Slav because Eastern Europeans were largely considered the slaves of the Roman empire and so on. So kind of having that wider view of history changes your starting and ending points for certain things. Mm. And then understanding that, that going from that, you know, taking a closer look and being able to diversify beyond sort of the, the stereotypes that make up what was generally considered common knowledge to understand the, the wider diversity of the experiences that actually make up life for any, any group of people. Mm -hmm. you know? So the idea to say that for certain groups, you know, that there's a diversity of experiences expected, it's broad, it's, it's understood. But and in many cases to say something similar for African-Americans uh, becomes questionable. You know, you go, well, 
because we have this understanding that there's one black experience. You know, we talk about slavery, but again, that's why it's important to talk about the people who were whole free communities before slavery. At the same time as you're talking about the trajectory that has constituted what we call the African-American journey to home. It's important to understand the, the roadblocks and the obstacles that have been put in the way of that because they very much resemble the roadblocks and the obstacles that make up the current moment. And so a lot of times we'll, we'll fall into the trap of looking at this moment now and saying, okay, this is what it is sort of in isolation without recognizing that this moment is made up of all of the moments that have gone before. And so we make these, these mistakes of going, well, okay, well, there's a, now we're looking at, as Janine said, a point where African-American homeownership is at its lowest point since about the, the end of the Second World War. So before the signing of the Fair Housing Act, we'll attribute this to, all, to a number of, of elements, a number of, of catalysts going on now without looking at the ways in which there have been intentional acts of disenfranchisement aimed at African-Americans trying to own homes for the entirety of the, the lifespan of America. So understanding those things sort of in their context makes them easier to understand, easier to begin to talk about. And it also allows you to sort of put things in their proper place as, as you're going forward and, and developing this, these new ideas for the future. Thank you, Brian, so much. I think that, and, and Brian can definitely jump in, I think that, you know, right now in this moment where we're dealing with the, a major uh, global pandemic, one of the things that we're seeing is Black people not being able to hold on to their homes. A lot of people all over the country, Black, Brown, White, are suffering you know, under the weight of economically what something like a global pandemic can do. Um, however, what we're seeing is that people who are black and brown are suffering even more so and needing strategic help to be able to really continue to have home ownership and make that dream completely possible. In the context of this design and what we're doing with AfroChic, we actually can begin to talk to our audience about mm -hmm those types of issues. Um, we can talk to our audience about, even today, we had a, you know this big push, this is MLK Day, a big push for voting rights. We talk about that with our audience as well. Because even though we might be talking about things in the context of home, like I said, home is where all of this sort of begins for Black people. It's where these conversations happen. And so we want to make sure that our audience is knowledgeable and that they feel like they can go out and fight for things like fair housing today, that they can fight for equity, that they can fight for justice. It's interesting because we can have that conversation though in the context of something that's still beautiful and inspiring and aspirational, um, which I think is critically important. Uh, we've been reflecting a lot on Martin Luther King just this, this month in general. And one of the things that he understood and that people in the civil rights era understood was that creativity itself was in working with creative people was something that was very much a big part of the movement. That it was working with artists and was working with writers and it was working with great creative minds that could inspire people. And that's what we really try to do with AfroChic as well. You know, if we can show you an amazing uh, songwriter and then in that discussion about that songwriter, we can have a conversation about race and justice and equity in the world of music. Uh, we can talk about food, but then we can actually end up talking about 
food history and the history of food. And then also the food justice and the diaspora that is beginning to embrace food justice in different ways globally. And so it's the creative is sort of how we sort of start the conversation, but then we can begin to have a much broader dialogue that centers around the things that are very much Brian and I's values um, as a law, as a former attorney and as an academic in African diaspora studies of being able to have conversations that really lead to impactful change in the lives of everyone who follows and is a part of, of Afro-Chic. One of the things that we kind of makes up the, the basis of the understanding for Afro-Chic is that design is a cultural artifact. And as such, every cultural artifact is connected to every other cultural artifact, you know, for any given society or group of people. So if we're talking about the, the food that we eat or if we're talking about the music we listen to, all of these things are, are sort of, you know, they've developed over time for this particular group of people for a particular set of reasons. And design works the same way, you know, like we can talk about the history of Scandinavian design, the sort of like the, the the nature of Scandinavian design as we understand it now, without talking about World War II in the way that, you know, Scandinavian design changed after that to become this more streamlined, simplified, accessible aesthetic that we all love today, where it was very, very, you know, uh, ostentatious and real and royal and, and flamboyant before that, because, you know, it was the design of kings and of the aristocracy and things like that. So doing that with Afro-Chic, it becomes this way of saying, okay, understanding really that everything is designed, not that everything is interior design, but everything that we have as people is designed. Mm-hmm. You know, whether yes. we're talking about our idea of what a house is, you know, and the, house, the idea of a house is not only designed, but it's, it's culturally specific. Because what we think a house or a building is, what the image that comes into our head when we hear that word now is totally different than what it might've been in, Japan in the 1500s, or Somalia in the 1100s, or in Spain in the 1300s, something like that. Totally different, entirely culturally based. So whether we're talking about something as tangible as a house or something as nebulous as uh, an economy, it's all design because basically we make it up. And because of that, you know, that's why we are sort of not only you know, kind of like the architects of a shape, but also responsible for its consequences. Mm-hmm. And so that is becomes a very big part of what we talk about with Afro-Chic and the need to be able to see that clearly and to understand not only the role that we have in creating and, and shaping realities, but the responsibility that we have for their outcomes. So that's significant when we think about Martin Luther King. It becomes a very, very specific, right, significant to this moment. Because we have what we've seen is sort of like the the widespread domestication of the image and the message and the memory of who Martin Luther King was. We see it on uh, placemats for burgers, for you know, for burger places. We see it, you know, trotted out uh, on by sports, you know, organizations for like, oh, this is our special, you know, as if this was the dream to watch, you know, touchdowns and and basketball games. Or, and then what gets lost in that is the, that there was a, a deeply radical bend to Martin Luther King's thought. It wasn't simply a matter of, you know, a lot of times it gets perverted today. I mean, we will see it even being used by uh, people who are very much against the, the Black community or very much against civil rights for any number of communities, as opposed to really understanding that what King talked about as nonviolence was not, you know, simple passivity or, you know, just kind of like constantly turning the other cheek, but it was this 
the sort of understanding of the idea of nonviolence was aimed at maintaining and affirming the humanity of the oppressed while searching out and hopefully eventually finding the humanity of the oppressor. That's what it was about. Thank you, Brian, so much. Janine and Brian, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? You know, I think that we're always so excited to just share the people that inspire us. And AfroChic really is uh, a platform at the same time. It's not just us talking about design, but it really is a space where we talk about other people who are doing incredible work in the community, whether it's about food justice. There's an amazing group in New York City called Dine Diaspora that does a lot of work around food justice and really having conversations um, around food equity. Um, There's so many great music artists and incredible artists that are out there as well um, that we are always highlighting. Uh, an, an incredible photographer, Farez McHugh, um, who's from the Canary Islands, who um, really does her work as focuses on Black women um, as, as, as sort of the, the main person in her photographs, um, which is extremely important as well. Um, and then literature as well. Are there any people that come off the top of your head, Brian? I think we've been doing actually a lot of reading around critical race theory now. And um, that was something that uh, Janine studied in law school because it's a, it's a legal theory, not something that happens in uh, elementary or public schools. And so uh, really like the works by Kimberly Crenshaw have been are amazing. And um, Faces of the Bo- at the Bottom of the Well, uh, which is not one of Kimberly Crenshaw's work with the author's name just jumped out of my head. Um, but no, there's a lot of amazing work to be, to be done around that. And it's very important reading kind of in understanding, like, as we said, again, the, the current moment that we're in and a lot of the, the structures that make it up. Yeah. And, and you're so right. You know, Sabrina, like Afro Chic really is a world. And so, you know, the books, the, the, the food, all of those things people can actually find on like our Pinterest boards, our Instagram, our TikTok. You know, we are always talking about the people who are inspiring us from across the diaspora. Thank you so much for sharing that. And are you talking about, uh, oh, the faces at the bottom of the well, um, the author, did the name come to you? No, it's like- uh, Derek Bell. Derek Bell, thank you. I was just reading it. Yes. Okay. Thank you for mentioning that. And then also, uh, Janine, you mentioned Dying, Di- Dying Diaspora. Yes. Yeah. As well um, to look into. Well, I want to thank you both. We're going to continue this conversation. Uh, it's just been so great to begin this dialogue and to learn about both of you and Afro Chic. I've been speaking with Janine Hayes and Brian Mason about their project Afro Chic. It's a media and design project. There is a book coming up in the fall and their their current book is Remix, Decorating with Culture, Objects and Soul. They've got a magazine, a podcast and more. Uh, But I really want to thank you again for joining me and to learn more about Afro Chic. You're welcome to visit afrochic.com. Thank you. Thank you. you. You're welcome. From the kitchen table out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. 
Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artel. Safe travels.